Welcome to season two of the First Prez podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So welcome to season two, Values and Direction. Well, this actually feels a little more familiar. Uh, Easter Sunday is always our biggest Sunday, one of the biggest next to Christmas, I guess. The Sunday after Easter is typically our lowest Sunday. We even call it Low Sunday. Uh, So now that I'm here in a pretty much empty sanctuary, except for Garrett and Danny and Noah uh, helping to put this together, uh, this feels a little more like the Sunday after Easter typically would. But we're so glad that you've joined us online. Can't wait. Low Sunday or not, can't wait to get you guys back here in the sanctuary with us. So last week I told you, told you that we really struggled uh, with what to say and what to do during Holy Week. Uh, of course, we, we knew going in that we would talk about the final week of Jesus' life, his suffering, his crucifixion, the resurrection. Uh, but the question was just how would we tell that story this year, being separated and isolated from each other? Uh, I have always found that when we let the scriptures take the lead, everything turns out okay. So I found that I needed to trust that advice again this week, because if I thought I struggled with Holy Week, this week was actually maybe more difficult. Now, I'm not telling you any of this to get sympathy or to complain. I just think it's important for you to know that throughout all of this, that we are wrestling, that as a team, we are wrestling daily, weekly. We are constantly seeking God's will um, as we walk through this really challenging season together but also that this just, it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us. None of us were prepared for this. We didn't plan for this. None of us have gone through anything like this before. So we are continuing to work hard and just trust that the Holy Spirit is truly leading the way. So having wrestled with this as a staff, um, it really feels like the right thing to do is to get back to work. It feels like this is the right time to begin to shift. Shift away from talking about the pandemic every week and get back to what we started at the beginning of this strange year, 2020. Now, of course, we are going to do this in the context of our situation. The realities of this situation are gonna permeate everything that we say and do, but it is really important that we continue to wrestle with who we are as a church so that we can continue doing the work that God's called us to do no matter our situation. Now at the start of 2020, uh, we began to share with you this vision of being both a gathered and a sent church. And I think now that we can all see God's providential timing over that one. On March 15th, First Pres Kingwood officially became a full-time sent church. And I just want to tell you really quick that so far, you guys are killing it. You have become so outwardly focused, caring for one another, caring for those in our community, for those around the country that might need to hear a hopeful word. 
Your evangelical spirit right now is greater than anything that we could have hoped for or planned for, greater than anything that I've ever seen in the church. It's truly a joy to watch you be the church even as you're isolated and separated from each other. It's been a joy. Now we began that Gathered and Sent series. We started with our purpose and our mission. A purpose statement and a mission statement. And we said that our purpose is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we said that our mission is to go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. It's important to us that you realize that both our purpose and our mission, they come straight out of the mouth of Jesus. They're not marketing tools. They are the word of God. So that's how we began the series. We ended our Gathered and Sent series with a look ahead. Uh, Look ahead at five values that our session believes should guide all of our decisions as a church moving forward. Five values that are guardrails for us. They help us to, to decide what good things we should do as a church. Now, the five values and the icons that we use to identify them throughout our church, they look like this. We believe that First Pres Kingwood is called to be a church of disciple-making disciples who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So even in the midst of this crazy season, we believe that it's time to get to work. So for the next few weeks, we're gonna dig deep into each of these values so that we can share with you why we believe that they are not only biblical, that they're not only really at the heart of who this church has always been, they're not only the markers of the church that God's calling us to become, but I think we're realizing now that by the grace of God, these five values, I believe they are inspired by the Holy Spirit because they are as relevant in times of peace and normalcy as they are relevant in times of crisis and pandemic. God has truly been preparing us for such a time as this. So I'm excited to dig into these values with you. Now we're gonna do these a little bit out of order. Today we're gonna start with our second value, biblical literacy. So I wanna read a passage from the book of Acts. And then today just take a 30,000 foot view at what it means to be a biblically literate church. Now, a little setup for our text. Uh, Peter and John, now apostles of Jesus Christ, uh, they begin Acts chapter three by visiting the temple as they normally would. Only now they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The church has been firmly planted in Jerusalem by Jesus' apostles and the work of that church has begun. Acts three begins with Peter and John healing a man who couldn't walk. The man asks Peter and John for money, but they gave him so much more. They, they gave him back his life. Now, there was a crowd in the temple, of course, and the crowd that saw this happen, Acts tells us, were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to the man. So I want to read you how the story continues. This is Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 20. So listen for God's word. It says, while the man held on to Peter and John, this is the man who was healed, 
While he held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Now remember, Peter is preaching this to the crowd. He says, you handed Jesus over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you instead. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Messiah would suffer. So repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. This is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets. Remember that line. Uh, Let's pray. God, pray that you are present with us. We know you are. Pray that we would recognize your presence with us as we have heard your word read And now as we hear the gospel proclaimed, help us in the end of this to ask that important question, so what? What does this mean for our daily lives? We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So I chose this passage today. I actually replaced the passage that I was going to use. I chose it for today because we actually read it in our retired men's Bible study this week. And to me, this passage, it highlights what happens when a people become once removed from God's word. Now, of course, I'm not talking about Jesus's disciples. I'm talking about the crowds, right? The regular people. What happens when they become once removed from God's word? This is what happens when a people practice religion, but they don't understand the word of God on which that religion was formed. So there's some simple questions to ask when we think about the Israelites at the time of Jesus and after his resurrection. How is it that a people who have been waiting for their Messiah for a thousand years, how is it that they don't recognize him when he finally appears? How is it that God's people, a people who were covered in God's protection and provision, who were beneficiaries of God's promise, who received God's blessing, how is it that they don't recognize it when God himself descends to live and move among them? How is it that they would crucify an innocent man? How could they kill the God that their ancestors swore to trust and obey, the God that was passed on from generation to generation? How could a people get to that place? Now we saw that last week that Jesus' death, it was all a part of God's plan. 
But we saw that at the same time, humanity had a decisive role in the suffering and death of Jesus. His blood really is on our hands. And this is really important. Uh, Before we blame those guilty Jews and Romans for killing our savior, we need to remember his blood is on our hands too. It is our sin that nailed him to the cross, the sin of all humanity, our brokenness, our selfishness, our desire to be gods rather than serve the one true God, that is what put him on the cross. So you and I are just as guilty as anyone else throughout history. We're just as guilty as the ones who were there that day shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But this is why I believe, this is why the people of God didn't recognize God. It's because the people, they didn't know his word but it's not really all their fault. So I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you are the people 2,000 years ago. You're the people of God, led by the leaders of a religion. Imagine that the only access to God's word that was available to you, imagine that it was through religious leaders. So today, imagine that the only access you had to God's word would be through me, or Sabrina, or Mark, or anyone who wears one of those robes. Imagine that the only copy of the scriptures that were available to you were scriptures sitting here in the sanctuary, but those scriptures were guarded and protected. And they were only opened and read by someone who was sitting on one of those thrones wearing one of those robes. Imagine that for centuries, people in my position used the word of God as a tool to keep you under control. That people like us uh, might focus on the weight of God's law, that we would use it as a measuring stick showing you week after week that you just don't measure up, you're not good enough. So all you can do is hope and pray that God will have mercy on you in the end. Imagine that, that you had heard about a Messiah from people like us but your vision of that Messiah was shaped by our personal theology or maybe even our political leaning. Imagine that for generations, people like me told you that the Messiah would come just like the kings throughout Israel's history, that he would come and destroy Israel's enemies, that he would wipe out an opposing army, that he would cast out the Roman occupiers and give the holy city back to the people of God. Imagine that for generations, that message formed and shaped your understanding of who and what the Messiah would be. Imagine if people in my position left out the words of Israel's prophets who first proclaimed that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that John the Baptist would be his forerunner. The prophets go on, listen to this. It comes from an Old Testament scholar named Walter Kaiser. He says this, talking about scripture and the prophets in particular, he says they further announced ahead of time that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem on what turns out to be Palm Sunday in triumph as the crowd shouted Hosanna. And he lists the Old Testament prophets that mention that. But in less than a week, he would be betrayed by one of his own disciples, Judas, as it turns out. And he quotes the scripture there. He goes on to say, the Messiah's side would be pierced. 
that he would suffer vicariously for the sins of the world. And even more dramatically accurate, the fact that Jesus would be killed with wicked ones. Killed with wicked ones as he hung between two thieves. Yet he would be buried with the rich ones. You see, over the generations, the Messiah described in his fullness by the scripture was actually minimized by Israel's religion. Over time, they had turned this Messiah into a military leader who was gonna save the people from Rome rather than save the world from captivity to sin and death. They told the people, it's your captivity to Rome that matters most. We know the truth that what matters most is our captivity to sin and shame. You see, without access to the scriptures, how could the people know any different? How could they test their leaders? How could they be certain that their understanding of their faith was based on the whole biblical witness and not just one particular viewpoint? That's the story of Israel. That's what Israel's people experienced. Unfortunately, the same scenario found its way into the Christian church. 1,500 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the church was the only place that you could find a copy of the scriptures. And a man, always a man, sitting on a throne, wearing a hat and a robe, he was the only one who was qualified to tell the people what the word of God said. He was the only one that could tell the people what they should do in response to it. We are here today because some faithful Catholics, they realized that this just wasn't right. That it wasn't the way God intended his people to receive his word. And that revolution happened around the same time as a huge technological advance in human history. In 1440, technology made it possible for the people to have access to God's word in a way that never had before been seen before in human history. The invention of the printing press meant that we would no longer have to wait on handwritten copies of scriptures. It meant that there could be more than one Bible in every town. Eventually, there could now be a Bible in every home. 500 years ago, reformers fought and died so that we could not only have direct access to God's word for the study and teaching of that word, to be spread out among the people so that it could never again be hijacked or manipulated either by individuals or by an institution. Now we still wear these robes. The difference in our tradition, they don't qualify us to tell you what God's word says and what you are supposed to go do. They tell you that we have received the education that we do know God's word for ourselves and that is our job now to equip you with the skills you need to understand and apply God's word to your life. I love our reformed tradition. Now, I say all that, I'm not trying to be critical of the Catholic church. I love our Catholic brothers and sisters. I am just being honest about human nature. If you give any human being the power and authority 
that comes with being the sole interpreter of scripture, the only teacher and guide for all the people, then no matter how righteous and good that person might be, one day that system's gonna fall apart. And when it does, it'll ultimately be the people who are hurt. So here's a kind of a tough so what for us for today. Every family, every individual in this church has access to their own copy of the Bible. If not a print copy in your home, then the invention of the internet and personal devices has literally put God's word in the palm of our hands. So how many of us have read it all the way through? How many of us have actually read it cover to cover? How many of us have read enough of it to know for ourselves the scope of the biblical narrative? How many of us have read enough scripture that we could sit down with somebody else and tell them the major narrative arcs that go from Genesis to Revelation? How many of us have a habit of turning to God's word on a regular basis, not only for insight and instruction, but just simply for a relationship with God? for a time of communion with the God introduced to us in scripture in the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I know this is tough and I'm not saying this to to poke you in the chest. I am saying this as a warning because throughout history, broken and sinful humans have had access to the scriptures and they've used God's word to further their own personal causes. And this is the really difficult and very personal truth. How do you know that I'm not doing that to you? How do you know that Sabrina, Mark, myself, that those on TV, that all of these churches streaming online around the world, how do you know that we won't be like some of those who have come before us and use the scripture to further our own personal theology or potentially even a political or personal agenda? How will you know? God has given you a tool. He has placed it in the palm of your hand and it'll protect you from me or from anybody else who might go astray, who might use God's word as a tool for their own benefit. And most of you are holding it in the palm of your hand right now. If we are gonna be a church of disciple-making disciples, then we must be a people who are firmly rooted in God's word. Not a church that's led by a couple of pastors who know God's word, but a people who are firmly rooted in the word of God. We must be a people who are biblically literate. How else can we truly come to know the character and the nature of God? How can we know who we really are? Now next week, we're gonna talk more specifically at a lower level about biblical literacy and I'm gonna share with you some really practical tools and programs that we're putting together that'll help us individually and as a church become a more literate people so that we can become more effective and more focused on our mission. And I want you to know right now, some of you have all the time in the world. You have plenty of time to start your reading. Some of you are gasping for air, trying to keep up with work from home, children in school, We understand. So we're gonna provide options for all scenarios 
ways that anybody can begin to dive into God's word and become more biblically literate. Y'all, it is so important. It's so important. Jesus didn't die on the cross and walk out of that tomb just so people like me could recreate religion 2.0. Jesus died on that cross and walked out of that tomb so that we would truly be free, that we'd be free and that we would all be reconnected directly to the love of God. Now I pray that we will be, that we will continue to be trustworthy guides and leaders for you, but I pray that when we fail, that if we fail to lead you appropriately, that we will be held accountable and that you would be equipped to hold us accountable because you will know that we're wrong. I pray that the people of God would know the word of God so they can not only correct their leaders when they've gone astray, but even more importantly, that they would recognize the presence of God in their midst, regardless of who's wearing a robe or sitting in a fancy chair. When I think about the tragedy of 2,000 years ago, we know that that story was always going to end with Jesus on that cross. But just imagine the people of God, the people of God who had longed for God, who had anticipated that Messiah, stood there right in front of him and shouted, crucify him, because they didn't recognize him for who he really is. We have been given the word of God so that we can recognize God for who he truly is. So that when we see him, when we recognize his presence or the day that we see him face to face, that we will be able to respond appropriately. To God be the glory, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.